Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. This series is a little different than what we normally do. Normally when I preach, I'm trying to take usually a a chunk of Scripture. Now, that's not always the case, but more times than not, I'll take a chunk of Scripture. We call that expository preaching, where I'll take one little section and we'll just kind of go verse by verse and talk about it and lay it out that way. This series is a little different. Um, It's more... um, We're going to have a scripture here and a scripture there, and they're going to be from different places, but I think that it will make sense to you. I've already had really good feedback from people in the first service that walked out and said, you know, that really helped me. So I encourage you this morning to grab a pen and take notes, because I I do think that what we're going to discuss today will be beneficial for you for the entire year. Starting in Jeremiah chapter 6, this is kind of the base verse for the whole uh, series And um, it's one of the most appropriate verses that you can really open a new year with. Start in in verse 16. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. In other words, it's decision time. Okay, There's there's a decision to be made. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. In other words, we're going to get back to basics. We're going to go back to some fundamental principles and think about some very fundamental things. We're going to look at these in the next few weeks, some spiritual disciplines that maybe can help our life ask for the ancient paths ask where the good way is i like that ask where the good way is if you're like me you've probably made some jacked up decisions in the last 20 uh, last 12 months right if you're like me like me you can look back on some things and go why did i do that or what what was i thinking when i did that if you're like me you know things can get kind of turned around or get kind of upside down and and we get a little backward because of it here's what i want you to understand god understands that okay god understands that you can make a mess of your life or somebody else can make a mess of your life god god gets that and he says you know you're here at the crossroads you have a chance at a fresh start you get another chance now we typically use the change of the sea change of the year to to kind of hit the reset button it just kind of seems that that's the way we are. Some of you may make um, resolutions. Um, goodness, it's the 12th of January. You probably already made them and broke them by now, haven't you? I mean, we're, we're that far in. I mean, the, 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 gyms are, the, the gyms are still full by February 1st. They won't be nearly as full because that's just the way we operate. Ask where the good way is, and the Bible says, <clears throat> and walk in it. And then look what happens. And this... This would be my prayer for everybody in the room. In fact, as we've led up to this series, I have been praying for you, and this is one of the things that I've been praying for you, that in, in 2014, regardless of what swirls around you, and, and I'm human enough to know that stuff swirls around us, doesn't it? There's stuff in our life it just kind of swirls, and we, we try to make sense of, and sometimes we're reacting to things, and sometimes we're trying to be proactive, and we're trying to anticipate, but in all of that, regardless of what is swirling around you the bible says you will find rest for your souls if you ask where the good way is and walk in the good way now i can't promise you that circumstantially 2014 is going to be better than 2013 some of you are like man that's really not what i wanted to hear this morning i I would hope that your 2014 is better than your 2013 i hope so but i can't promise you that there's no guarantee that 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 2014 is going to be better um 
I can tell you this, that regardless of what happens circumstantially in your life in 2014, God wants to help you rise above what those circumstances are. Now, if you're like most people, you come into a season like this with a fair amount of skepticism. You, you come into a season like this with a fair amount of pessimism. You know, you just you want it to be better, but you're not sure it's going to be better. And you would say, look, Brett, I've been through so many New Year's resolutions and fresh starts, and they didn't take. And I made a New Year resolution last year that I was going to lose weight, and here it is, January 12, 2014, and I'm already 50 pounds heavier than I was a year ago, you know? I, I, I made a New Year's resolution that I was going to get in the best shape ever financially, and I'm in more debt now than I've ever been in. You need Financial Peace University. I understand that there's almost a backlash this time of year. You know, there's almost this, this pessimism that kind of overtakes us. I want to share some principles with you that go way beyond a resolution this morning, okay? We're, we're, we're beyond resolution. I want to say something to you that maybe you really, really need to hear. Here's what it is. Yesterday can be gone forever. Amen? I mean, isn't that kind of what some of you want? Yesterday can be gone forever. Maybe for you, it's time to put the past behind you. Maybe you've, got some, you've made some bad decisions, maybe you've acted up, maybe you've done something you shouldn't have, maybe you, something was done to you and you're holding on to it and you won't forgive. Well, I mean, there's all kinds of different ways we can look at that, but maybe what needs to be said to you is yesterday can be gone forever. I, I want to, um, to kind of prepare us and get us to laugh a little bit and just think outside the box. I want to share with you some success, failure success stories. I wanna, I'm going to talk about some people who ended up being great, that their life didn't start out so great. And I'm going to read these to you, and if you think you know um, who these people are, feel free to just call it out as I read it, okay? Um, oh, I just got too close. Hold on. Okay, here's the first one. Dismissed from drama school with a note that said, you are wasting your time with her because she is too shy to put her best foot forward. Who do you think that was? Dismissed from drama school with a note that said, you're wasting your time with her because she's too shy to put her best foot forward. Lucille Ball. Would you have ever thought that? How about this one? Turned down by a recording company that said, we do not like their sound and guitar music is on the way out. The Beatles. Yep. She loves you. How about this one? Cut from the high school basketball team, he went home, locked himself in his room, and cried. Michael Jordan. How would you like to be the basketball coach <laughs> that cut Michael Jordan? You know that dude. You know when he had kids later on, he had, and the parents came in, and they were mad about playing time, and they were getting on him, and they, you know what they said? Well, you cut Michael Jordan. You don't know anything. I bet you don't get this one. Fired from a newspaper because he lacked imagination and had no original ideas. Walt Disney. Woo! You believe that? Walt Disney had no original ideas. I think we say Walt Disney had some pretty original ideas. Okay, the last one. His fiance died. He failed in business twice. He had a nervous breakdown and was defeated in eight elections. He's going crazy over here. You know, he's... One of the greatest presidents we ever had. Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, Abraham Lincoln. Uh, here's the point. 
The secret behind success isn't mystical and it isn't happenstance. And it's not by chance. Successful people aren't just lucky people, okay? Bill Gates didn't just get successful because he got lucky, all right? There's more to it than that. Warren Buffett, I mean, name the guy, name the person you think is successful, athlete, whatever. They didn't just luck into that. There's something else behind it. Let's just state right off the get-go, can we just say this? Yesterday ended last night. It's over. You need to move past yesterday and get on to something else. We've got to get to a place, if we want to do some big things for God and we want God to do things in our life, we've got to get to a place where we, have, we get over yesterday. Got to get over yesterday. Isaiah 43 says this, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, and you can, as he's writing this, you can almost hear a frustrated feeling in him as he says, see, I'm doing a new thing, now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? It's, it's almost frustrated as he asks the question, can't you see it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams, and just by the way, streams, when you see streams in the Bible, if it's got some kind of allegorical meaning or a, a, a double meaning, streams usually signify... Um, uh, life in the Bible. I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to put a stream in that part of your life that looks like a wasteland. Uh, to you, it looks bad. To you, you think, man, there's nothing here. I, I want you to know this fresh in your life this morning. God loves you. He does. God loves you. You say, no, Brett, God can't. You don't know what I've done. God can't love me. No, God loves you. He, he knows your struggles. He knows what your frustrations are. He knows those areas in your life that you can't seem to get on top of or the habits that are bad. He knows all that. You can move on. God desires to bring something fresh into your life. And that's a good thought to lock on to as we move into a new year. God is in the business of do-overs. God is in the business of second chances. Jeremiah 29 says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you two things. What are they? Hope, future. That's what God wants to give to you. That's, what God, that's how God wants to change your life, by giving you a hope and a future. This whole series is driven by um, the teaching of a guy named John Maxwell. Maybe you've heard of him. He's a leadership guru, We've, I've been to more John Maxwell conferences than I can count, read all kinds of John Maxwell books. He's just a great leader, teacher, and um, we, we went to all kinds of John Maxwell stuff. He still teaches things, and we still kind of follow and try to see what John has to say. But he came up with this thing called the Rule of Five, the Rule of Five. And here's the point of the Rule of Five. The point is, don't try to do too much. But just try to do something every day. Don't make your life about events. Make your life about the process. In fact, one of the things, John wrote a book called The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. One of the laws in the book was the, the irrefutable law of process. And, and, and the, the point basically is this. Success is found in your daily agenda. John is very fond of saying, I can follow you around. I've heard him say this in conferences. I could follow you around and watch what you do I could look at your checkbook and I could look at your calendar and I can tell you how successful you're going to be. He's right. 
And he says that what people do wrong is that they make too big of a deal of certain things. That, that it, it, they just blow it up to something that it doesn't need to be. He uses the analogy of chopping down a tree. And this is kind of how he puts it. He says, you know, if you, if you think about trying to chop down a tree, if you would just come and take five good swings at the tree and then put the axe down and walk away. Come back tomorrow, pick up the axe, take five more good swings in the same spot, put the axe down, walk away. Don't skip a day. Don't skip the process. Don't let up on the five. Five good swings every day. He says, eventually, you're going to take that tree down because you have got a process. Every day. Not all day. Just every day. You talk to a fitness guru and ask them, what is the secret? And what's the secret to to really going to the gym and staying in the gym. How do, I, how do I make this something that sticks? And he's going to tell you, do something every day. You know, if, if you don't have a lot of time, at least do something every day. If you've only got time for one push-up and that's all you can do, just do one push-up. Now, I'm just going to tell you, you're not going to get a body like this just doing one push-up a day, all right? Doesn't happen like that. I train for this now. A lot of this is what it is. It's a lot of, a lot of that. But what will happen in your life, as you do these things, this process that you're going to develop habits in your life, you can never change your life until you change something that you do every day. Yeah, I talk to people all the time, and they want to change their life. And I say, well, you know, what's your plan? Well, I don't really have a plan. Okay, then here's what you need to understand. Your life is not going to change. Your life is not going to change if all you do is sit on the couch and go, man, I wish my life was different. It's not going to change. Not until you do something about it. You can change your life, and until you change something that you do every day, your life doesn't change. Not all day, just every day. One of our problems is that we get so locked up in the pains and, and the regrets of the past and we completely over-exaggerate yesterday and we completely over-exaggerate tomorrow we, we generally, we aren't focused enough on the here and now. Generally, we aren't focused enough on what can I do today, right now. You read the Bible long enough, and one of the things you're going to see is that Scripture talks an awful lot about now. The Bible talks an awful lot about today, right this minute, right now. Don't worry about tomorrow. Focus on today. Th- this is a biblical principle, and it will bring us success if we practice it. So, today, I want to teach you the principle um, that, that's going to help you. And over the next several weeks, we're just going to try to work it out and flesh it out. And um, I'll be here next week, and then the following two weeks, I'm going to get some help with uh, Ryan and Kyle as I'm going to get to go on a vacation. So don't skip church. Don't do it. Come and learn about the five. But, but uh, we're going to develop this over the next five weeks. Um, here's the, here's the, the first principle and the principle of five, Okay. And, and again, write these down, because you're, you're going to want to do this. If you want to change your life, you're going to want to do this. Number one, you've got to find your five. You've got to find your five. Now, on your first effort, it might not go real well. You're probably not going to have it exactly right at the beginning. You're probably going to find five things that you think you need to do, and you're going to discover, I don't need to be doing that one. Um, but I want you to try to think about five activities that if you would do them every single day, it would change your life, okay? Five things that would better your life if you would just 
you know, it's picking up the axe and those five swings. I'm going to do these five things every day. What would be the best five activities for you? Proverbs 17 says this, an intelligent person aims at wise action. Action, not decisions. You know what, you know what a resolution is? A resolution is a decision. A resolution is the decision that you made in December that you didn't keep, that you didn't act on in January, and now you're, you know, you've blown all your resolutions. Now, you need to make good decisions. But I know a lot of people who've made good decisions but never lived out the decisions that they'd made. They never followed up with it. Wise actions, that's the key. You have to have something that you're doing. Somebody says, you know, I want to lose 35 pounds. I want to be a better dad. I want to to be more spiritually mature. Yeah, but what are you going to do, do, that's going to help you get there? The beauty of this is in the simplicity. It's not a long list. It's five things. So I want you to start your own list, and I'm going to give you, just to help you kind of launch, kind of see where I'm going and how I'm thinking um, I'm going to give you a couple in my list of five. Okay, these are, these are a couple of the things out of the five that I do every day. These are a couple that I do. Number one for me is meditate. Now, I'm not talking about getting in the lotus position and, you know, doing that. You may do that. That might help you. That's not what I'm talking about when I talk about meditate. Um, I'm talking about just sitting by yourself in the quiet and thinking. Thinking. You know, we get so busy, and life is so cluttered, and it's so noisy, and it's so loud, and you get in your car, and the radio's on. You walk in the house, and the first thing you do is turn the TV on. You go to bed at night, you, you know, and your, your spouse is chattering in your ear, and your kids are in the car, and they're talking all the time, and you ne- do you ever stop, get quiet, and think? I learned this from my roommate in college. Um, my roommate, Kent, was a brilliant, is a brilliant man. He's a He's, he's got his Ph.D. He's a professor up in, in uh, um, Philadelphia. He's just, he's brilliant. And I would walk into our room after class, and he would be on his bed. He'd have a book in his hands. I mean, this dude read Nietzsche, okay? If you know anything about Nietzsche, that's not easy, all right? You don't, you'll break your brain if you try to read Nietzsche. Don't do it. Um, he was an atheist, and he's a philosopher, and he says stuff, and you know, Kent would read the same page three times, trying to figure out what Nietzsche was saying. And I'd walk in, and I'd see him. I, I knew better than to say anything to him, because I didn't want to interrupt him. But at some point, I knew that what Kent was talking about was going to reap benefits for me. Because later on, we would get into a conversation, and he would say, well, Brett, I read this in this book, and this is what I've been thinking about that. And I would walk in, and I would see him just staring off into space, trying to think through the things that he had read about. And I thought, you know, that's a good practice. Kent's really smart. And it's a good practice not just to read something, but to read it and then sit and think about what it is that I just read. And and what I find is that when I meditate, at some point, God will interrupt me. And that's when the second of my five kicks in, and I begin to pray. God will ask me some things about what I'm thinking about, and it's in that quiet exchange of my questions and his questions that some of my best praying happens. Now, here's a misnomer. Here, here's, here's what's going on that, that is, is you probably don't realize. You probably think that your best praying is when you're talking to God. I got news for you. That's not your, that's, 
I'll tell you this, that's not when my best praying happens. My best praying does not happen when I'm talking to God. My best praying happens when God is talking to me, when God is asking me questions. My best praying happens when I'm asking God things. My best praying happens when I'll be thinking about my finances and I'll think, you know, and I'll say, I'll, I'll be praying, I'll say, God, you know, I don't have any money. And God asked me a question, why not? I gave you some. Well, I spent it. Well, what'd you spend it on? Well, that dinner. Did you have food at home? Yeah. Well, why did you eat out? Because I was, wanted to go out. Well, don't do that. Okay. I mean, that's when my best praying, you'd be amazed what happens when you just sit and think and God interrupts your, your, your thinking. You'll be thinking about, you know, why did I have that fight with them? And God will say, well, was there any pride? Was there any pride in you? Well, a little. Okay, well, that's probably why it happened. What do you think you should do about it? I don't know, maybe I should say something to them. Yeah. It's amazing what happens when, when, you, when, you're, when God interrupts. That's when the best praying happens. And certainly, you know, there's an aspect of it where we're talking to God, but really, when God starts talking to me, that's really when it gets interesting. So those are just a couple of the five in my life. No, so so you've got to find your five. That's number one. Find your five. Number two, the second thing we've got to do is we've got to prioritize the five. Okay? They've got to have a priority, meaning that when we come up with them, they need to show up as a priority in our life. You need to give calendar time to your five. Because for you to be successful with this, you need time, and you, you, you need thought and effort. And you, you have to intentionally do these five things. They have to show up on your schedule. You may want to write them on your calendar to make sure that you're doing them. They have to be a priority. Listen to this prayer. Psalm 90. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The truth is we all have a ton of activities that we're doing that is hitting us every single day. And I'm sure most of you would agree with me that there are only a few of those things that you do every day that you probably should be doing every day. There's probably a lot of stuff that you're doing where you're not managing your time well or you're wasting money or you're wasting time. I mean, if you're honest with yourself, there's probably some stuff, maybe a lot of stuff that you could cut out. But all of us have this whole pile of trivial issues going on in our life, right? Cluttering up our day, and they're actually robbing us from making the kind of day that we actually want to have. If God is important to you, and you want to spend some time with Him, you have to put Him on the calendar. You have to set aside some time. I, I wonder if you've ever heard of the, um, the pickle jar illustration. If you were to take a pickle jar... And you were, to get, you were going to fill it up. You were to take rocks the size of your fist and put them in the pickle jar. You could put so many rocks in and then eventually you couldn't put any more rocks the size of your fist in the pickle jar. But that doesn't mean the pickle jar is full. You could take some gravel and you could sprinkle the gravel in and shake it a little bit and sprinkle some more in. And what happens is the gravel would filter down through the, the, the bigger crevices and make its way down. But you know what? The pickle jar still wouldn't be full. You could take some sand and pour sand in and jiggle the jar a little bit and pour some more sand and watch it settle and eventually you would see the sand come all the way up to the top. But you know what? The jar is still not completely full because you could take water and very gently pour the water in 
and the water would be absorbed by the sand and it would go fine. There would be air down there that could be displaced and the water would go down and you would eventually fill up the water to, to, until it ran over the edges of the pickle jar. Then you would say, the pickle jar is full. Now, here's what's interesting. If you took the same amount of material that you already had in the pickle jar, let's say you emptied it all, but you reversed the order in which you put them in, you would not be able to get all of that material back in the pickle jar because the order would be wrong. Not that the the ingredients were wrong, but the order would be wrong. The priority would not be right. You can't start with water and fill it up and then you'd come to the end and you'd have, what you'd have is you'd have a bunch of rocks that were the size of your fist that were left over that would not fit in there because the order was wrong. And that's what happens to you and happens to me. It isn't that we don't have high values. What happens is we don't put high values first many times. We have high values. It's just that sometimes they're not prioritized the way they need to be and they don't come in in the order that they need to come. And so when the emails happen, when social media happens, and the phone calls and all the trivial stuff, the sand and the water and the gravel come along, we look at our life and the next thing you know, we didn't do the four or five big things that we should have done that we wanted to do. All I'm saying is if you want to have a successful life, take the big things and make sure they're in your life first. And here's just a clue for you. Facebook is not one of the big things. It's not. It's water at the end. I marvel at the people, and I'm, I, I'm on Facebook not nearly like I used to be. If you friend me or send me something on Facebook and I don't answer you right away, it's because I haven't been on there. I just, I, I finally figured out, man, that thing's stealing my time. And it's making me angry. I'll read things and like, man, I want to. I mean, Facebook is nothing more than open mic for the world, isn't it? It's amazing what people are willing to say for the whole world to see. I've got a friend that's constantly raving about how little time they have, and I'm like, if you would get off Facebook, you would have some more time. Look, you're still going to, when you prioritize and do it the right way, you're still going to get your emails. Farmville is going to carry on without you, okay? Bingo Blitz or Mafia Wars or whatever it is that you're playing, I'm probably dating myself because they probably don't even play those anymore. Answer me this question honestly. I mean, don't answer me, answer in your mind, but is your life honestly that much better because, you're, because you've spent so much time on Facebook? I mean, is Twitter really making you that much better? <laughs> Prioritize your five. Put the right things in first. And if you've got time at the end for a little Facebook and some emails and you know some just chatter phone conversation, great. Don't make those things first. Number three, enjoy your five. Enjoy your five. Don't put something on the list that you don't like to do. Because guess what? You put something on the list you don't like to do, you're not going to do it. You're not going to do something you don't like to do. That's just true. I mean, honestly, those of you whose mom, you're going to be able to tell I was scarred for life. My mom and dad made me eat collard greens when I was growing up. I hated those things. You know, if you, if you just let me go through a smorgasbord or some kind of buffet of some kind and they've got collard greens, pass. Not eating them, because I don't like them. So you've got to make sure that the stuff that's in your five is stuff that you like. That's why some of you don't read your Bible. Here's the thing. Here's what I want to, want to make sure you understand. You do not read your Bible not because you don't love God. You love God. I know you love God. It's, your love for God is not what's keeping you from reading your Bible. 
you don't enjoy reading your Bible, and you probably don't enjoy reading your Bible because you've not ever really been taught how, or you're trying to do some plan that's too much for you. Again, five good swings of the act, five minutes, sit down and read one verse. One verse and say, you know what, God, teach me something out of this one verse. I'm just going to live this one verse today. You don't have to read a whole chapter. You're probably not going to be obedient to a whole chapter anyway. Take one verse, five minutes, God, speak to me. That's how you do it. I mean, there's over 35, 40 different Bible reading plans, probably way more than that. I can, if you've got a smartphone, I can point you to a free app. Get this. That not only will give you a Bible reading plan, but you can hit a button and it will read it to you. How lazy do you have to be? Okay? You can do this. It's not that hard. It's the same thing with some of you don't enjoy prayer, so you don't pray. You know why you don't enjoy prayer? No one's ever taught you how to pray. Listen. Go to our webpage. I've preached whole sermon series. I'm due to preach some more. I'll probably do another one in 2014 on how to pray. Go to, the, go to the website. There's all of our sermons all the way back to 2006 are on there. You can listen to sermons on prayer. You can buy books and read them about prayer. If, if you don't want to do that, catch me after church. Say, Brett, teach me to pray. I can give you a little formula, take me five minutes, and teach you to pray in five minutes that would, max, would, would, would boost your prayer life. It, you, look, you're not praying because you don't love God. I know that. I, I know you love God. You're not praying because you don't enjoy it. I'm saying figure out a way that you can enjoy it, and, and I'm telling you, prayer is going to be a wonderful, beautiful, lovely experience for you. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. That, that's all our mess-ups. That's all the things we wish we could do over. That's all the things of the past. You tried it and it didn't work. The sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And then in verse 2 he tells us how he did it. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Now that sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? You know what that really means? Do it the way Jesus did it. Just do it the way Jesus did it. He's our example. If you're not having fun doing what you're doing, if you've not found joy in your Christian life, you're probably doing it wrong. You say, can you do the Christian life wrong? Yes, you can. If you're not enjoying your Christian life, do you know one of the reasons probably why you're not enjoying your Christian life? Because you've made it all about religion. Because it's so full of religion that you can't enjoy it. You can't, it you're so constricted. You feel so bound up. You feel so, it's like, ugh. But you know what? People who are finding joy in their Christian walk and aren't bound by religion actually enjoy coming to church. They actually enjoy being with one another. They actually enjoy singing songs to God. They enjoy sitting and reading their Bible. They enjoy thinking about God, praying to God. They enjoy being with other Christians. It could happen. But a lot of people aren't happy and they're not joyful because they're so full of religion. I can't stand religion. The Bible says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, your Bible may say author, the pioneer and perfecter. I love that. In other words, he can help you make things work. He is the perfecter of your faith. The author and perfecter of faith. Now look at this next verse. For the joy, now don't just read over this, let this sink in. 
For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. In other words, how did he do it? How did he not, when he got to the place where they lifted the hammer to drive the nail into his hands, how did he not say, okay, God, I'm done, take me away? At that very instant, he could have, he had the power to have said, God, I'm not doing, I don't want to do this. How did he, how was he able to allow them to go ahead and penetrate his hand with the nail? Because he figured out how to endure. For the joy set before him. In other words, he didn't focus on the activity itself. He, it was the joy of it. Now you say, what was the joy in crucifying Jesus? I mean, Jesus is getting crucified. What joy is there in that? You know what the joy was? Me. You. That was the joy for Jesus. You know, they, they got ready to, to nail him to a cross. Everything that he's going through. And he's thinking to himself, you know, he even prayed it. God, if you could take this away, take it away. But, but what got him through, I'm doing this for Brett. I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for you. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this for the world. That's what's going to get me through it. Is this fun? No. But what, why am I doing it? I'm doing it for the world. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He focused on the joy part of it, and it helped him to endure the cross. You have got to find the joy set before you in order to endure. You're not going to continue to do something that you don't enjoy doing. So make sure that these five things that you're going to do and that's going to change your life, make sure you enjoy them. So you have to prioritize it. You have to enjoy it. Here's one you're not going to like. You have to fight for it. You have to fight for your five. There will come a day where it's not fun. That's true for all of us. There's going to come a day where you've, you've got to become a more disciplined person. You say, oh, I don't like that word. Okay, Let's just let me take a sidebar for just a minute. And if you're a young person, and if you're wondering if you're a young person, you're probably not, okay? If, if you're a young person, if you're a young person, I'm gonna talk, I'm gonna give you a gold nugget. This is free, this doesn't cost you a thing, but I'm about to change your life if you'll listen to me and do what I'm telling you, okay? This what I'm about to say, I wish I had stumbled upon when I was a young man, because it would have changed my life. The older I get, and watch young people, as I say this, watch the old people nod their heads. This is how you know whether you're old or young. If you nod your head, you're old, okay? But watch, young people, watch the old people nod their heads when I say this. The older I get, the more I'm discovering that the two most important things in life are humility and discipline. Look at all those old heads nod. Humility and discipline. If you will strive to become more humble, think more about others than you do about yourself. Put yourself last like Jesus. You, you humble yourself. Everybody loves to be around someone who's humble. And if you will be disciplined, disciplined, you will go very far in life. Now, if you're a young person, I just skipped college. I just gave you everything you need. <laughs> Parents are going, I cannot believe he just said that. Go to college, get an education. But you need to be humble and you need to be disciplined. Here's what I can tell you. The people in my life that I want to be like are humble and disciplined. The people in your life that you respect, that you want to be like, that you look up to, they're humble and they're disciplined, right? 
That's what gets, it's not, it's not lucking out. It's not, man, look how lucky they are. Look what, no, they're humble and they're disciplined. You look at the great women and men of history, humble and disciplined. That's what we want to be. Jesus, humble and disciplined. Hebrews 12, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. Stay with me. But it's what? Painful. It's painful. It's not fun. But there's, here's the cool part. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Reach for a deeper level of discipline in 2014. Go to a new level of discipline in 2014. Number five, evaluate your five. You have to evaluate your five. You have to ask, how am I doing? In fact, you may find out that you need to change something in your five when you evaluate them. You may find out that you need to do better, but, but do you know why we don't stick with things oftentimes? We make resolutions, we try them, and then we forget about them. But what would our life be like if for just five minutes at the end of every day we just sat down, and we've all got five minutes. Come on, we got five minutes. You can sit down for five minutes and you can evaluate your day and you can say, okay, how am I doing God, how are we doing? Spouse, how are we doing? Kids, how are we doing? Money, how are we doing? Financially, how how am I doing? How am I using my time? Evaluate and change. Paul, one of the most successful evangelists in the world, listen to what he said. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, he's evaluating He's, you know, find your five, prioritize your five, enjoy your five, fight for your five, evaluate your five. I'm telling you, 2014 will be better than 2013 if you'll do that. Now, one last thing. Up to now, everything I've talked about, basically, you can do without God. You do not need God to do five. You don't need God to get better at the five. That's not what, you've been down that road before. Here's what I want you to understand. Your willpower is not enough, and you know that. You need more than that. Here's the really cool thing. For the Christian, there's more. There is an X factor for the Christian. Listen to Ephesians, and I'm going to read a couple passages of Scripture, and we're done. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Now listen to this. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now don't miss this. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Do you understand God wants to help you? He loves you. He's crazy about you. And when you wake up in the morning, he is there saying, I want to help you. I I want this to be good for you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to you as a Christian. You don't need a new resolution. You don't need to try harder. You need to turn over not a new leaf, you need to turn over a new life. You need a new you, and only God can do that. Jesus makes you an offer. Listen to this. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Do you know how you get a better life? Do you know how you get a full life? Romans 8 tells us. For if you live according to the flesh you will die. Not just a physical death. Your dreams will die, your finances will die, relationships die. But if by the Spirit 
You put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. I like the way the message translates that. The best thing to do is give, give it a decent burial and get on with your life. Do it today. Do it now. Your future starts now. Work on your five this week. Let's pray together. God, all of us in the room, have we could look at our life, we can see things where it could improve, we can make it better, there's things we could adjust. I pray, Lord, that this, this five thing would not just be a trivial thing, but it would be a life-altering, life-changing thing for people in this room. And Father, I, I do pray that 2014 would be better than 2013 for them. Lord, regardless of the circumstances, you, you want to provide the tools necessary for us to rise above it, to be the person you're calling us to be, regardless of our circumstances. And so, Father, this, the, these five might help us, and I pray that you would just walk with people, you, you'd car, help them carve out time, help them be better disciplined. Can't do it without you. Lord, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is with us who are believers. Help us to know that. God, in this moment, we just pause. We tell you that we love you. We're thankful for Jesus. It's only because of him that we even can even come to you and talk. So, Father, we're a thankful, believing people this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.